you got to start with the research and the data, and that will show you, it will almost guide you exactly to where the brand needs to go, what that gap is that people feel and how you're going to sell this to them, the missing pieces to their life. And if you can fill that, you're going to sell a lot of product. This is the CMO and Joe podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thank you for having me, Joe. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, you're a marketing leader. You have decades of experience uh, working with respectable brands and admired brands as well. But uh, before we get into all of that, how about you give us a little backstory of who you are and uh, what you're currently up to? Sure. Uh, so, name is Ben DeCastro. I've been a marketer for uh, 25 years. Uh, kind of getting into marketing by accident. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, coming out of uh, university way back in the nineties, uh, I, uh, I, uh, was working at yellow pages, uh, in our internet services group, which was new at the time. And my, my boss there says, you know, you do, do well to go back to school and get an MBA. And I, I didn't even know what an MBA was. Uh, <laughs> I remember saying to him, Pat, I said, Pat, I'm five foot eight. I can't even reach the net. What are you talking about? And he looked at me like, MBA. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, and so, um, so, you know, went, went there and then, you know, my first marketing course, uh, cause I had a science background, you know, biology, chemistry, my first marketing course in business school, I fell in love with marketing. Fell in love with it. Um, knew that that's exactly what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And, uh, so, you know, got out of school, hopped in the dot-com boom, uh, back in the late nineties, early two thousands. That was great up until dot-com bust. Uh, and then that was interesting. Um, and then, you know, in 2003, I uh, joined a company called ING Direct in Canada and we built ING, uh, from literally nothing into the the largest virtual bank in the world, uh, in nine countries, uh, phenomenal success. Um, and of course, um, that was hampered by, um, the financial crisis, uh, of 2009, 2010. Uh, and so, uh, left ING at that point, joined, uh, did a little stint at, uh, Torstar Digital and, and Bell Mobility for land at Kobo, uh, which, uh, all, all our Canadian brothers, uh, know what Kobo is. Uh, in America, nobody knows what Kobo is. <laughs> <laughs> Living in California, when I say I was at Kobo, like, who? Yeah, what? Uh, but you know, we, we, we had a, I remember it very, very well, uh, you know, we had a, a a nice budget by Canadian standards, not a nice budget by American standards, but, uh, you know, it, I had a choice of either going to attack, um, the rest of the world or, or using all the marketing money to, to go after the U S market share. We decided to, to go after the rest of the world. Kindle had a very big hold on, on, uh, the ebook market, e-reader market in, in the U S. So you go elsewhere in the world, everyone's heard of Kobo, but uh, no one in the U S. Um, um, and then, uh, you know, coming from Kobo, my, my, my boss there was, uh, CMO was, uh, a great guy by the name of Matt Welch. And, uh, he, he left to come back to the U S he was American, his daughter's missed California. And so he moved back here and hooked up with the guys at Irgo. And he decided, you know, rather than, uh, start my own marketing team, I'm just going to grab some of those nice marketers I had at Kobo. And, um, you know, you didn't have to, it wasn't hard to convince me to move to California. 
but I did, you know, with, with my wife and two kids, we moved out to California five years ago. We've been building Ergo ever since. Uh, and, you know, I find a lot of parallels and similarities between Ergo and ING Direct, actually. It's a regulated industry. Uh, we're trying to create a brand. We're trying to change the way people buy hearing aids, trying to change the way, you know, providing more value for customers. Um, so it, it's been exciting. Uh, it's been very, very exciting. It's been a hell of a ride. You know, a lot of ups and downs. It's been a roller coaster. That's what you, you know, you have to expect when you're at a startup. But, you know, we're at the size now. I mean, officially, we're a mid-sized company. We still like to call ourselves a startup, but I'm afraid we're a few years past that now. Uh, but, um, but it's been a wild ride and a hell of a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, maybe just to give a little bit more context to the listeners, What's maybe the biggest thing Ergo does that um, maybe people don't know about? Um, so, I mean, it's, it's hearing loss itself is actually one of the most taboo topics. Uh, people don't want to, you're more likely to talk about incontinence than you are about hearing loss for some strange reason. Uh, but again, it reminds me of ING Direct. People don't talk about their money issues either. I mean, how many people go around saying, hey, this is how much I earned last year? And you might get the few you know, occasional person, but. Um, so people, you know, generally just trying to build awareness and getting people to talk about hearing loss is, uh, is interesting. Uh, but I think one of the things that, that we do that a lot of people don't, don't know is that uh, we offer free hearing checks. You know, most people got their hearing checked in grade school. And never again, when your when your hearing was most likely good. <laughs> yeah. Now, as you age, right. Uh, your hearing is starting to degrade. And, and by the way, it's, it's natural. Uh, and in, in our world today, it's, it's happening at a younger age. You know, there's, there's um, uh, 43 million people in the U.S. Uh, with, with hearing loss today, 500 million people in the world with hearing loss, uh, and only usually 20% of people do anything about it. Uh, and, and the biggest reasons are stigma and, and denial. People are just, um, you know, they, they don't want to admit it. Uh, if there's two things that you know, signal to the world that, you know, you have, you know, reached elderly status. It's the walker, right? And the hearing aid. And it doesn't have to be that way. And, and you know, Ergo fits in your ear. It's invisible. This is not an Ergo. This is just an earbud. But it fits in your ear. It's invisible. Um, and uh, it gets rid of the stigma. Um, and so what, what we do by providing free hearing checks is trying to get people just to understand where where you are. Where's your hearing at? And, and by the way, you know, the WHO came up with a study a few years ago that that said, even those half a million people, half a billion people today, sorry, we're in the world with hearing loss, by the year 2040 or 2050, it's going to be one and a half billion with the largest growing demographic being young adults because of this. Oh, yeah. We're, we're listening to things at unsafe levels. And so hearing loss is becoming a, a bigger and bigger problem. You know, I call it the next pandemic uh, because it is going to be a widespread uh, and people just aren't, you know, watching it. And one of the ways to do that, best way to do that is get your hearing checked regularly, just like you do your eyes. Get your hearing checked every, you know, every year, or every two years. Come to us. It's free. There's no obligation. And, um, and it's easy. That's awesome. Yeah. I implore listeners to go, go check you guys out. Um, it's funny you mentioned pandemic. Uh, for you personally, how have you been able to manage uh, the last few months of, of the pandemic? It's... Um, it's been uh, surreal, actually. Um, you know, I, I've never been an advocate of working from home. Um, and certainly working from home with your kids makes that a double challenge. I have a 13 and a seven-year-old. Uh, you may see the seven-year-old, he loves the camera. You may see him show up. Um, 
he should be in school, however. Um, but, you know, w- when we started, we, we weren't really sure uh, when this all started in March, we weren't really sure how this was going to affect our business. Um, and, you know, uh, the, the, the interesting corollary to it has been that because a lot of hearing aid clinics closed during the pandemic, um, doing the virtual uh, selling, which is what Ergo does, um, actually was a bit of a boon to us. So, you know, without that alternative, people that need hearing aids, you know, they, they tend to say, well, here, let's take a look at this Ergo alternative. And, um, and it's, it's, been, it's been really good. So, you know, it, I think um, what it has also resulted in is a lot more work um, and the challenges of working collaboratively uh, in a virtual format. Uh, that's basically resulted in, you know, seven, eight Zoom meetings a day. Uh, Zoom has become our life, uh, right? And, um, and uh, it, so far, uh, I, I think we're, we've been as, just as productive as ever. Uh, in fact, even I told my wife last week, you know, if, if and when we actually do go back to the office, uh, I think I might want to work one or two days a week from home. Uh, because one of the other th- great things about um, working uh, from home is that I choose when I get interrupted. Whereas in the office, people just come up to me and interrupt me. And that makes working difficult, especially if you're you know, digging into something and you need that focus and concentration. Um, having people constantly come at you uh, just tears you away and then you have to refocus and everything. So if I'm focused on something, I ignore the email, I ignore the phone calls, I finish it and then I go on. And I, that's the luxury I think from, you know, that you have working from home. I do miss the camaraderie. I do miss the social interaction. Yeah. So I, uh, I would advocate going back to, to an office setting, but I think, you know, I would enjoy one or two days working from home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so some of that water cooler talk is definitely missed the last few months. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, when I was uh, uh, looking through your profile, actually, I saw that uh, one of the things you had down was when you're creating a brand, uh, you need uh, discipline and creativity. Um, so I just want to ask you, what, what's maybe a superpower, maybe something, a unique skill that you've had to become such a successful marketer in your career? I, I don't know if it's a superpower, but, um, you know, I, I think when you're creating a brand, y- you need to dive into and get into the psyche of who your target is. Um, you know, a, a great creative director, uh, Philippe Garneau from GWP once told me, uh, it was, it was early on in my career. He says to me, Ben, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, from evaluating creative, it doesn't matter what you like. It matters what the customer likes. And that stuck with me. It basically said, you know, I have to remove all my personal bias and it's easy to bring in your personal bias. So I always start with data. And I'll give you an example, you know, with, with year ago, you know, we were creating this brand and I thought, okay, well, let's get, let's try to find what emotions people are dealing with, with hearing loss. And, you know, I did a survey and I thought, you know, people were going to come up with, you know, how do you feel about hearing loss? How do you feel about hearing aids? They were going to say they're embarrassed about their hearing loss. They, you know, they feel old or whatever. Those things did come up. But what surprised me the most were they were low on the list. There were three main emotions that showed up really, really high on the list. That was being, they were frustrated, irritated, and annoyed. And those are three sub-emotions of anger. And I just sat there going, what are they angry about? Right? Oh my God, they're angry. And so you probe, we probe deeper and we found that they're not angry at anyone or anything. They're angry at their situation. Because here they are, right? They're people in their 50s and 60s, 70s. Um, 
they've reached the pinnacle of their career or just retired. The kids are gone. This is what they worked for the last 30, 40 years, right? To have financial freedom, to start doing what they want to do. And now their body is failing them. Their hearing is failing them. They're angry at their situation. They're angry at why is this happening to me? And once we realize that, we realize that all the advertising our competitors are doing, where they picture, you know, grandma reading a book to their grandchild or whatnot, that is not the retirement these people want to live, right? They want to travel. They want to, they want to do all kinds of, they want to go back to a Rolling Stones concert, right? Like that's, that's the life they want to live. We realize that, that hearing loss is just a, a result of a life well lived. Um, and that, you, you know, you re- and our motto is you got to have your life to the fullest. How do you do that? You put in a set of ear goes. So it, it became uh, about how we can empower them to continue living their life. So my point there being, um, you got to start with the, the, the research and the data, and that will show you, it will almost guide you exactly to where the brand needs to go, what, what that gap is that people feel and, and how you're going to sell this to them and, and, and what the, the, the missing pieces to their life. And if you can fill that, you're going to sell a lot of product. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, just having that market research and really know and hone into your target audience, see what their desires, their pain points. Um, no, that's, that's absolutely, that's awesome. Um, in terms of when you first started, though, uh, you said you started all the way back uh, 25 years. Um, how has the industry changed from when you first started uh, to now? That's a great question. Uh, you know, the industry, I think in the last 20 years, the marketing world has just turned upside down and, and it continues to evolve at a tremendous pace every year. Um, you know, when I started, I started in online advertising. Um, and I remember back in the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, uh, the online advertising was a fad. <laughs> a lot of big ad agencies, like a lot of the agencies were boutique agencies because the big ad agencies thought it was going to go away. It's just going to pass. And they didn't want to invest the money. So I started up in a, a boutique ad agency as well. And, um, and you know, the beauty of, of online was that, uh, that I always saw was that it's completely trackable. You can track everything. Whereas TV, radio, it's like, uh, you know, it's somewhat. And so I think that's, you know, marketers have realized that. And over the last two decades, you know, being able to show the numbers, being able to show the impact numerically, it, it you know, it basically gives management the confidence to give you more marketing dollars. And so, you know, it's basically, it passed TV a couple of years ago in terms of the media spend. And, and I think it will stay there. Um, the interesting thing I'm seeing now is that the offline media are evolving. So TV, especially with OTT, is becoming more digital. Even out, out of home, it's becoming more digital now. You see a lot of digital boards out there. So it's like it's all kind of melding eventually into one. So you, literally your digital will be able to go across all these different, I, I foresee anyway, all these different um, uh, mediums in the future. Uh, so I think it's really exciting. I, I think it's, uh, it's interesting. I think where, where we, what, what's happened though is that the creative hasn't caught up to the medium evolution. Uh, you know, I think, you know, 20 years ago, we used to see a lot more cutthroat creative, a lot more risk taking on creative. And now it's, you still see some of it, but it's not the same quantity that you said. I think either marketers are not sure how to, to deal with this, or they're maybe they're afraid to, or I'm not sure. You know, I think there's still possibilities to do it. I think, especially with digital, um, you know, we need to push that envelope a little harder uh, on what digital can do. Um, 
but uh, you know, I'd love to see creative start to get more, um, more disruptive and, and more uh, eye-catching than than it was before. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of which, um, just looking back, reflecting, um, what's maybe whatever you can share. What's what's maybe one marketing campaign that you've been a part of that really moved the needle? Really, really something that you're really proud of? Yeah. Um, I would say that's the, uh, the unmortgage that we did for ING direct. Uh, that was a campaign that was done, I don't know, 15 years ago. Um, and, uh, it, it literally changed the mortgage market in Canada. Uh, and we, you know, we exported that to a couple of other countries as well, but it changed the mortgage market and how mortgages were marketed. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is, um, you know, <laughs> it, there wasn't really anything different to an IG direct mortgage as opposed to anybody else's mortgage. And that was kind of the problem. It, it became a positioning exercise. You know, we, uh, we looked at our mortgage and we looked at everyone else's mortgages and, and uh, yeah, we had lower rates, but our posted rate was actually our rate. There was no negotiating with ING, whereas, you know, banks would negotiate. A lot of people would go in saying, Hey, ING is offering me this and banks would say, fine, fine, I'll offer you that. So um, we weren't very, very successful in, in our mortgage business. Uh, and then, you know, I was, we were talking with, with our agency at the time, GWP and it, and remember the conversation went and, and, and uh, the creative director looked at me and said, well, why do we have to sell mortgages? Why, why didn't we sell the anti-mortgage? And I was, I sat there going, well, why can't we sell the anti-mortgage? And, and, and the original, the original name of it was anti-mortgage. Um, and it, in French, it remained l'antipotec, which is anti-mortgage. Uh, we changed it to unmortgage because research, you know, people put, you put anti in front of every, anything, it gets kind of a negative connotation to it. Um, and so, you know, we decided to, to create this unmortgage and it's, it, it basically repositioned us as we're, you don't want that mortgage. You want to get rid of that mortgage and we're here to help you get rid of it as fast as you can. Nothing new that we offered. It was just the positioning of this thing, put that campaign out there and our mortgage business just took off. And the banks were quick to try to come in and advertise trying to, you know, to, but they, they wouldn't say, you know, uh, unmortgage or trying to get rid of mortgage. That's not what they're about. Uh, and so, you know, it remains the unmortgage for many, many years. And our mortgage business finally grew on our books uh, substantially from 2005 onwards. And, it, it, you know, we won awards for it. Um, of course, you know, we don't do these things for the awards, but for me, the, the biggest, uh, um, biggest uh, win was how many people we saved uh, um, on terms of mortgage payments, in terms of interest, uh, and in building that book of business for ING, uh, and then exporting that campaign elsewhere into other countries. It was, um, it was great. And for me, that, that's still the one highlight of my career. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how just a little change of positioning could make such a difference. Yeah. Business. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to also ask you, Ben, what's, what's maybe a resource that's really helped you along your career path? Uh, was it mentors? Was it, was it um, books you've read, podcasts you've listened to? What's something or a piece of content or uh, just a key piece of resource that's really helped you along, along your path? Yeah. Um, I, I say two things, really. One is that, you know, I, I like to read a lot of uh, Marketing books, and then also, you know, uh, consumer behavior books, um, uh, behavioral economics. Uh, Danny Riley, I love that guy. You know, if you haven't read Predictably Irrational, read it. It's a great book. Um, 
I'm currently uh, finished reading a book by Shiv Singh uh, and Rohini Luthra on called Savvy, uh, which is another great book. Um, so, you know, I, I find, you know, reading and, and trying to understand and not just reading books, but reading, uh, you know, marketing mags and, and, and whatnot. I think staying up on the current trends and understanding where things are going and seeing, you know, always thinking about how can I, how does this possibly benefit my business? How can I turn this into a marketing campaign? Should I turn it into a marketing campaign? Uh, another thing is, yeah, talking to people in the industry, I love networking, um, you know, and, and talking to others uh, just to get their perspective. Because sometimes, you know, you're, you're so deep in the forest, you can't see the, you know, forest through the trees, so to speak. It's true. Uh, sometimes you need that outside perspective to just pull it back and say, hey, you know, why are you doing that kind of thing? Or, or give, give you thoughts that you hadn't even thought about. Um, and, and I, you know, I think those are the two things the most that have helped me in my career to, to be more objective and to, to constantly learn. Uh, because I know for my 25 years, uh, if you're not learning in this industry, you're going to be a dinosaur very fast. <laughs> That's so true, especially uh, in this industry marketing. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, I mean, we have a lot of marketers and uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs too, uh, listening. Um, and one thing I w- really want to do is provide some value. And I, I'm curious from your perspective, Ben, if you're about to launch a new brand, um, what are maybe some of the common misconceptions or myths about launching a new brand in today's day and age? <clears throat> um, 99.9% of the time, it takes time. It takes time. You know, I, I, I know people want to start, you know, if we could just get that big, hit or whatever. Yeah, sure. You know, if you hit the viral button and you get it on social media, that's fantastic. Uh, but the viral button doesn't exist. Right. Uh, and a lot of the times these, it, it takes hard work. Uh, it takes understanding the brand, understanding your target and how you're going to reach that target. And it takes time. Uh, you know, it, it took us a while for ING direct to, to hit 30% awareness in, in Canada. Uh, and after that, you know, things got a lot easier for us. Uh, but you know, up until that point, it was, it was a hard slog, uh, and building any brand. I, I go in with that attitude. It's a hard slog. That said, you, you need to have a brand that, <clears throat> you know, answers a few questions, you know, and, and a brand should really answer, um, three main questions. You know, what is it one of, who is it for and how is it different or better? I mean, the last one being probably the most important, because if you can't differentiate your brand from another brand, that makes it irrelevant. Right. There has to be something special to your brand <clears throat> and whether it's truly a product uh, piece that's, that's special or not, you know, just like the unmortgage position it, position what you got as special. People will perceive it as special. Um, and, and so if you can do those things, then I think and as well, you know, put in a good media plan and just slog it out. Your, your brand will grow and then you'll see it, it'll get easier the year as the years go by. Absolutely. And let's say you start getting the attention with your marketing and your marketing campaigns really seeing a, a growth uh, in, in new numbers. Once you get the customers in, how do you provide a great customer experience? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I think it was Henry Ford who said, you know, the, the, the competitor to be feared is not the one who is always watching you, but the one who goes on continually making the business better for his customers all the time. I believe that, you know, you, you want to make a better customer experience. You want to make a better product. Uh, listen to your customers. They're going to tell you, right? Now, yeah, you know, you have to know, you know, pick and choose what 
what you're going to listen to and don't listen to every piece of feedback. But if the overwhelming majority says this, then yeah, go in that. Uh, because if, you know, if I listen to every piece of feedback, I would have pulled every single ad from TV <laughs> that I've ever done. Uh, you know, there's people that are going to like it. People aren't going to like it. That's fine. Um, but uh, listen to your customers. Uh, they have some great insights. And, you know, for us at Ergo, our customers are wearing our product every day, eight, 10, 12 hours a day. They'll tell us, you know, I, it would be great if your product did X, um, you know, or be great if you did Y, right? And so, and so we listen, we evolve, and, and we continually improve that experience. Uh, so for me, the key, the key to a, a great product, product experience is, is involving your customers. Absolutely. I think part of that involvement is uh, your different touch points online with social media. Um, for you, Ben, what's sort of your favorite online platforms, uh, social media platforms, or just other platforms in general? Well, I mean, we're, you know, our target market are people that are 50 plus. So they're mostly on Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, but you know, they're, they're, they're not on a snap or, or WhatsApp or anything like that. Um, so we deal mostly with, with Twitter and, and, uh, and also LinkedIn, but also, uh, mostly Facebook. Um, I would think, you know, for me right now, uh, I love how sticky TikTok is. <laughs> I love how people are embracing it. Um, and, and the, the more attention that the U S government gives TikTok, I think the more popular it's growing, uh, which is great for TikTok. Um, but I think, you know, uh, I haven't done a TikTok yet. I don't think about it. My, my son has. Right. Um, and I know lots of people that have, I just need to find my song uh, <laughs> <Find your dance. laughs> and my dance, yeah. but, um, but you know, uh, I think it's very interesting to see how all these social platforms come. Some survive, some don't. Uh, but I think as a marketer, you need to be aware of them. Uh, and you need to try them all because you never know what's going to work. And even though it doesn't work today, doesn't mean it won't work tomorrow. So even though my, my audience isn't on TikTok today, um, I need to be aware of TikTok and how it's evolving because they might be there two years from now. Uh, and then I need to engage them on TikTok. And it'd be great if I already know how to do that. Absolutely. Um, I only have a few more questions here for you, Ben. Um, you mentioned the the ad you're, you're, you're proud of, uh, in your career, but maybe what's one thing that you're really proud of that we haven't touched on in the interview just yet. Uh, well, I'm proud of my kids. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you want to talk about that. Um, uh, I mean, we do, um, you know, I, I, I'm very proud of the work we've done with Ergo. Um, you know, we, we, we grew a brand, um, from nothing and, and uh, and, uh, it's already, you know, starting to, to hit the brand ethos here in the U S. Um, you know, I'm also proud of the brand ad that we did and launched in January. Um, it was quite, um, quite a dramatic change for a brand like ours. You know, we're, we're a health brand and the health industry is very conservative. Um, and so, uh, what that means is, um, they tend not to push the envelope in terms of creative. And I knew that if I'm going to break through, I need to push the envelope. I need to get people's attention. And, you know, working with Huge, we came up with an ad that, you know, uh, the way the ad was, it's called Overheard, but basically it's a, a young couple, married couple, um, that uh, uh, goes to their parents' uh, house for, for a long weekend. And they're in the kitchen, gives the flowers, whatever, and, and the mom says, thank you, turns away. Dad's in the, you know, 20 feet away in the living room. 
And uh, and she she looks around, doesn't see anybody close by. She turns to her husband, and says, "Hey, did you bring the condoms?" And husband <laughs> can't hear. He's like three feet away. He can't hear. What? She goes, "Condoms." Can't hear. And then the third time, the the father yells out, and he's twenty feet away, and he yells out, "Condoms, Charlie!" <laughs> she wants to know about the condoms. And, you know, mortified look in their face. Uh, and it basically it made you know it turned the hero, the father, into the hero, and it also you know made it very craveable, right, to have this 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 ear go because you can hear things that you know you probably should weren't meant for you to hear, right? So as a consumer, you're like, yeah. Um, and, and I love it. And that was a hard sell, um, you know, internally, of course, because uh, I mean, it's nobody's done that, nobody's done that. But if you're going to break through and disrupt an industry, you got to go where people uh, are are not willing to go. And and they took a chance, and it's been you know. It's a great ad. Uh, it, it's done, a, you know, a lot for our business. Um, and now that the, the, you know, I'm very, very proud of it. Uh, you know, uh, I think the problem now is, you know, uh, I'm being asked to, what's the next ad? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how you beat that, but you know, we're going to, we're going to try. So the problem with success is that, you, you know, you're always expected to do even better the next time. And, and, and that's where we're at today. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's really funny. Um, one thing I didn't want to ask you too is what's maybe one question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked. Um, and that, that, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do I never get asked? Um, I, I suppose, um, you know, what, what, uh, where, where the industry is really going to go. Uh, where I think the industry is going to go, the marketing industry. Um, I think, you know, and if I don't mind answering that, that question, I, I think, you know, it's never been a better time to be a marketer. Uh, I, I think uh, companies are starting to become more aware uh, of how marketing actually impacts the business and, and the rise of D to C companies have caused even the old CPGs and everybody to rethink their marketing and how they approach marketing. That marketing actually is the lifeblood of all these companies. And it's easy for a small guy to displace a big player if you don't have marketing there to help you defend it and to, to, to grow these companies. So, uh, you know, I see a lot more emphasis um, uh, that CEOs will have on, on uh, you know, growing and getting good talent in their organizations. So um, uh, I think it's a great time to be a marketer. And, and, and I love it. I, I absolutely love, I don't want to do anything else. I have no aspirations to ever be a CEO. This is what I want to do. Um, and, uh, and I would encourage anybody that, uh, that has any inkling towards marketing, go for it. You'll never regret it. Awesome. Absolutely. And I love you being on the podcast and sharing all of your awesome knowledge. Um, just a quick hypothetical for you. Uh, just maybe a little bit more insight for the listeners. But say you're given 50% more budget. Um, what, what sort of things would you invest that uh, newfound budget on that really Ooh. grow your marketing strategy? That would be great. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I just given our demographic, uh, and and I, you know, I think where we are in our in our life cycle, I think you know, Ergo would do well to have like a Super Bowl ad. Mm -hmm. uh, it's expensive as hell. It's four million dollars for thirty seconds, but the the awareness you're going to get, like that's the one time of the year people actually want to watch the ads. <laughs> yeah. And so, so you're actually. In my opinion, it's worth the $4 million, but if I had extra budget, I'd probably do a Super Bowl ad and, and just to see what it would do. Um, but that's the one thing I haven't done yet. 
All right. So we'll watch out in the future for your, your guys' Super Bowl ad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Where can our uh, listeners connect with you online, Ben? LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best place. Yeah. Awesome. And I like to end the podcast with asking the guests a word or a phrase to describe their brand. So my last question to you, Ben, is maybe what's one word or phrase to describe Ben the Castro's brand? Ooh. Uh, it depends on who you ask, but if you ask me, I'm going to say disruptor. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.